0: In our Advent reading, we heard words from a godly, devout man named Simeon, words spoken to Mary. Simeon's last words to Mary were dark words, weren't they? They were dark words. He said to her, and a soul sword." will pierce your own soul too. A sword will pierce your own soul too. A lot of souls have been pierced these last few days, haven't they? 20 mothers and fathers and families have had their souls pierced with sorrow. And I wonder if maybe the word pierced doesn't adequately describe their pain words more like shredded or mangled. And others in Connecticut whose children survived are broken and grieving and they're worrying and wondering how will how will this affect them long term and, and in the short term what are we going to do tomorrow morning? What are we going to do Monday? And then and then later on you know where will we send our children to school when it's appropriate to return to school and who can help and where is God and how can we make sense of this senselessness And a sword will pierce your own soul too My guess is there are more souls that have been pierced than souls in Connecticut Anybody here Anybody here had their souls pierced? Hmm. If so, I sure wish you'd come up to our elders and let us pray over you. That's why they're here at the end of the service every Sunday. Hmm. Anybody here felt the stabbing, the piercing of a sword through your soul? If so, then you're in company with Mary. And I want us to think about these words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I want, us to, I want us to get the story behind these words. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. As we consider these words, these amazing, mysterious, dark words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Words in Luke chapter 2, verse 35. Words which Mary heard that were unexpected words. Unexpected words heard in an unexpected encounter with a pious and spirit filled man. And Mary heard those words in the least likely place where one would expect to hear those words the temple the gathering of God's people. Think about it. How would it strike you if when leaving our Sunday services, say after family blessing day, where your child had been presented before the Lord, and then as you exit the doors, you're there in the foyer where dozens and dozens of conversations are going on, and people are talking here and chatting there, and you're standing there, and and without warning, an aged man comes up to you, and with a smile on his face and tears of joy in his eyes, this man begins to praise the greatness of your child. This man prays, Lord, now I can die. Let me die. And this man proceeds to tell you that, that your child will have an amazing future. Your child will be the salvation of the world. Your child is the light. And every tribe and every language and every nation and every ethnicity will be touched by the hope and the light and the glory of your child, your child. And if that sounds too good to be true, keep in mind that about a month before, on the very day of your child's birth, shepherds came and gazed in awe as if your child had created the universe itself. And keep in mind that they came because an angel had ordered them. Go see the savior of the world. And keep in mind that an army of angels declared glory to God in the highest. And keep in mind that one of your own relatives has already given birth to a baby boy as well. And that this child's sole purpose will be to prepare God's people for the life and ministry and work of your child. (laughs) And keep in mind that an angel came to you. First, saying that your child would be great. Your child would be ruler. Your child's kingdom would never end. And your child's name would mean Yahweh saves. Your child. And you thought you were crazy. But then as you walked in obedience to the Lord... You met people who affirmed all of these things about your child. And now this in Luke 2, 25, 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And Simeon joins the many other witnesses testifying in no uncertain terms the greatness of this child. Is it any wonder that Luke 2, 33 says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him? Marveled. But then, after all the marvel, suddenly, This aged man looks you, the mother, right in the eyes and his tone changes. And it's a tone of warning. And he warns you now that your child, people will either love your child or hate your child. They will either venerate your child or they will commit violence against your child. There will be no middle ground. And your child will unmask all the evil that's in a person's heart and then... And then he looks you right in the eye and he says those dark words and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He's looking right at Mary when he said it. Verse 34 says that he blessed them but then he said to Mary, And if this isn't staggering enough, keep reading verses 36 to 38 tell of this aged woman named Anna. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. And if you look at the footnote, there's an alternate reading there suggesting that she had been a widow for 84 years which means she would have been over a hundred there she is and all this time she's been at the temple worshiping praying fasting for decades on end and the very moment simeon finishes his word anna comes up with hers oh my goodness she speaks out i mean there they are Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and now Anna just breaks out in gratitude and thanksgiving to God. And then, of course, they're in the temple courts, you know, where people are coming and going. And she speaks out, hey, hey, here he is, our redemption has arrived. Look over here, look, 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 there she is, this, this 100-something-year-old woman. She may be tiny, frail, and aged, but she's got one good sermon left. Simeon and Anna. Who are these people anyway? Who are they? Simeon and Anna join the shepherds and the magi and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Joseph and Mary. Young, old, rich, poor, affluent, impoverished, male, female, Hebrews, non Hebrews, rural, urban, witnesses from all backgrounds and all cultures and ethnicities testify to the arrival of God's consolation and God's redemption. That's who these two are. They're a part of this chorus of witnesses. Simeon and Anna, two faithful saints of an era gone by who have been waiting for God to do the very thing that will end the senselessness of evil. Simeon and Anna, they they represent those who have lived their entire lives patiently waiting for faithfully enduring and consistently depending on the God who keeps his promises. Simeon and Anna, they represent the fringe people. They represent those who, you know, have never felt invited to the inner circle, either the inner circle of the temple or any other group. They represent the marginalized. They represent the, the little people. They represent the ones who appear out of nowhere, have their say, and then vanish back into the darkness. But what they have to say is deep and profound and of God. You see, apparently, Simeon and Anna are the only ones in the temple who know what's going on. They're they're the only ones given the eyes to see and the voices to say what God is doing in the world through this little baby. So much for pastors So much for biblical scholars, so much for theologians. If you want to know what's going on in the world, ask the people at the bottom. They'll tell you. What we learn most about Simeon and Anna is their consistent, enduring, persevering trust in God even after a lifetime of suffering and sorrow. That's what we learn about them. You see, Anna's husband died after seven years of marriage. And for some unknown reason, she never remarried. Now, in our world, we would say, well, that was her choice, you know? She could dedicate herself to a career, or she could dedicate herself to whatever it is she wanted to. That was a choice, you see? That's how we would respond in our world, and and we would... We would appreciate her right to make that kind of choice. But she doesn't live in our world. She lived in her world. And in her world, people interpreted that as a tragedy. Who would take care of her? God would take care of her, she believed. God would take care of her. And so for some reason, while she did not have the dream of remarriage, she had God and she never gave up on God. Simeon and Anna looked like what God wants me to look like if he allows me to live as long as they did. Simeon and Anna. They redefine the meaning of success. What's your definition of success? What is it? In preacher land, all too often, it's bulging church attendance and bulging church budgets and bulging church staffs. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. I like that. Uh, Because I want the gospel to go out. Does our community not need the gospel? Did you know that within five miles of this facility, right here, right now, there are 47,000 unchurched people? 47,000 people who are not connected to a spiritual community, a gospel-centered community. They need Jesus. We have the precious treasure of the gospel. It must be shared but 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 numbers alone don't signify success These verses teach me that success is about faithfulness. Success is the patience of Simeon and the boldness of Anna. Saints who faithfully endured a long obedience in the same direction. Saints who did not grow cynical. Saints who did not cheat. Saints who did not cut corners. Saints who did not quit. Saints who lived long enough to know that nothing else matters in life except worshiping God first and sharing God's news with others. That's how Simeon ended their day. They finished well, and that's how I want to finish. I want to finish in faithfulness. And church family, faithfulness is trusting that God will keep his promises even when you have to carry the corpses of 20 kindergartners to the morgue. Faithfulness is trusting that God is good even when you have no idea what he's up to. Faithfulness is trusting that God will keep his word even when the sword pierces your soul. And that's what I want you to take home today. That's the big idea. That's our lesson. God wants me. God wants you. God wants us to faithfully trust his promises even when a sword pierces my soul. The God we worship, the God we worship is a promise maker and a promise keeper. That's who he is. He had promised Simeon. What do we know about him? Well, we know he was devout. We know he was righteous. We know he was waiting. We know that God had said to him, you're not going to die until you meet Jesus. That's all we know about him. And God kept his promise. He saw Jesus, the Christ child, the one who is both the consolation, verse 25, and the redemption, verse 38, of his people. Consolation, redemption. Two different words that describe the same thing, which is this, the hope that God will deliver his people from their enemies. Consolation and redemption. Two words, one person, his name is Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus coming, coming for consolation, coming for redemption, coming to deliver God's people from their enemies. And how will God do this? How will this happen? Verse 35, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's how it will happen. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we should We should let Jesus define what that means because because he uses that phrase in the Gospels, the sword. You see, the sword, according to Jesus, is a sort of division. It's a sort of decision. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, verses 51 to 53. Jesus would say to the people, "Do, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And Matthew ten thirty four substitutes the word sword. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus arrives on the scene, there's going to be no neutral response over him. People people who are moderate about Jesus have not met the real Jesus. Listen to what he says in Luke 12, 51 to 53. He says, from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. How's that for Christmas dinner? (laughs) Jesus says, that's why I'm here. Well, who says that? Who who says that? What kind of a person says this? What if I were to say that? What if I stood up here behind this pulpit and said, I've not come to bring peace to this church. I've come to bring divisiveness. (laughs) You would be thinking, who is this kook? What has he been putting in his eggnog? And I know what the elders would say. They would say, well, it's, it's time to look for a new senior minister. That's what it's time to do. That's what Jesus said not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wow. Meaning you are forced to make a decision about Jesus. Sometimes people say silly things about jesus that he never intended about himself they say silly things like well you know jesus to me is this inspirational example of someone who achieved a christ consciousness of human potential achieving a sort of olympic sized level of self-actualization and if we study him we can realize our potential too well that's not the real jesus the real Jesus came at Christmas as a king to stake out a claim and to declare every inch of the physical and spiritual universe is his. And this forces a decision. Is Jesus going to be the king of my life or not? And I'll tell you this, when you read through the Gospels, and specifically when you read through the Gospel of Mark, the big question, the Gospel of Mark actually has very little teaching of christ some but very little instead the gospel of mark answers this question this question who is this who is this well we learn in mark's gospel he commands the winds and the waves he commands the demons. He commands the sick to be healed. and He commands the dead to rise. That's who this is. Listen, nowhere in any of the Gospels do people ever say, well, I don't know who he is, but he sure shows me my potential. <laughs> it's not there. Can you imagine seeing all of those miracles and then saying, wow, wow. Well, he showed me my potential. <laughs> no, no, Jesus asserts I am king. I am king, and on judgment day, your eternity rides on whether or not I know you. Read the Gospels. Look at his life. What kind of a person says that it's better to cut off your hand or gouge out your eye and enter heaven than to burn in hell? Is your Jesus the one who says, I've not come to bring peace but a sword? If not, then your Jesus is make-believe. Make-believe at the same time this king who wields the sword has a life so overwhelmingly attractive just to be in his presence just to experience the personality of Christ just to be with him and to 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 witness the way he lived and spoke and acted can his disciples experience this For three years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, my goodness. What could have made fiercely monotheistic Jews able to say that God had come in the flesh? My goodness. The sword is a sword of decision about who Jesus is in the light of his self-claims. And it's a sword that causes people to rise or to fall. And Jesus says that if you rise up against me, you will fall. And Jesus says, if you will humbly fall before me, I will will cause you to rise. My goodness. And Mary would witness the effects of this sword throughout her life, throughout his life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and she would begin to realize that she too had to make a decision about who he is, you see. I'm thinking of later on in Luke chapter two when Jesus was presented at the temple when he was 12 years of age. You can see that incident and Verses 41 and following of chapter 2. And, and in those verses, Mary and Joseph had one of those parental, I thought he was with you, moments. And they raced back to the temple. Mary's frantic. Where have you been? How could you do this to him?" Jesus respectfully replied, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's house? Luke two forty-nine, And right there, Mary felt the stab thing, right there. And then later on in Luke chapter 8, someone said to Jesus, oh, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are waiting to see you. Uh, you know, as if he was being expected to just drop everything and go tend to whatever it was they wanted. And you know what Jesus said? He replied in, in Luke chapter 8, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And the sword went even deeper. And then in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, after hearing Christ teach, someone called out to him. They were so impressed by his teaching. Someone cried out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus quickly shot back, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's who's blessed. And the sword even went deeper. You see, Mary's learning that although she gave birth to the Messiah, she needs the Messiah too. And when you read the scriptures, you'll see that Mary will have to come to God through Christ just like everyone else. And more and more, Mary would feel the stabbing of that sword in her soul. And then the day came when at the temple, at Israel's most holy place, the baby who grew up to be a man Came to that very temple where he was presented, and he proclaimed, I am the temple. I am the meeting place between God and his people. And you destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And the sword of decision became a sword of sorrow because Mary watched as her son was rejected. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. The king who came wore a crown. And that crown was the cross because, church family, the only way for God to eradicate evil from this world was to come in the flesh and suffer as an innocent victim of injustice for us, to become sin for us, to die for us, to be pierced for us, to be mauled and ravaged for us, to substitute himself for us, to be treated like we would be treated were we to pay for our sins and the sword pierced mary's soul as she saw her son die on that cross john 19:25 near the cross of jesus stood his mother and a sword will pierce your own soul too so where was god friday i'll tell you where he was He who suffered, he who was on that cross, he who was in that tomb, and then he who was raised out of that tomb, Jesus was there receiving those children into his arms the moment their spirits left their bodies. That's where he was. Deuteronomy one thirty nine says, and as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Here's what God is asking of us today. Here's what he's asking of us. Will you trust me even when you don't fully understand what I'm doing? Will you trust me even when the sword pierces your soul? Even if you never remarry? Even if all you know that you, is that you won't die before you see the promised Messiah. Will you trust me? Will you trust me even if the last best sermon you preach before you go to heaven happens to be in front of just three other people and a baby in a crowded temple? Will you trust me? Will you trust God to faithfully finish well? Will you? Simeon did. Simeon did. Anna did. You see, the Spirit of God was upon them. The Spirit of God was upon him. The Spirit of God moved Simeon so that he could see the Christ. Well then, are we not the church of the risen Christ? Are we not, are we not the, the living temple filled with the same Spirit that was upon Simeon? And hasn't the Holy Spirit moved us not to go into the temple courts But to go out, out into our community, out into our country, out into the far places of earth, hasn't the Holy Spirit moved us to go out in faith and in hope and in love in missional sacrificial service to Kenwood, to Salt and Light, to Empty Tomb, to Restoration Urban Ministries, to Habitat for Humanity? Isn't the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was upon Simeon, isn't isn't that same Holy Spirit In this church congregation, moving us to go out and contagiously influence our world for Him? What is our answer to Friday's tragedy? Here it is. Our answer is for the people of God to faithfully and courageously move out into our schools, all of our schools to mentor and tutor and love and help and be a light and revelation for all. And, And why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God who is upon us and who has promised his presence even when the sword pierces our soul. And we therefore refuse to allow the senselessness of evil to make us afraid. God has called us to faithfully trust his promises even when it hurts. And we will. Won't we? Won't we? Amen. Simeon did. His name tells us so. Oh, yeah. You know what Simeon's name means? Last sentence of the sermon. Simeon's name means one who hears and obeys the word of God.